0: If you would like to financially support this podcast or the ongoing work at Humanity Church, you can text any donation amount to 84321. Give directly from your phone. Now, here's this week's podcast.
1: Jesus, we thank you that you're already here. May you make us more aware of you. And would you speak to us today? Elevate our our hearts and our minds, our thoughts. Elevate what's possible today, God, as a result of being together with you and one another. We are just grateful to be with you. And from that, we know that you come and you blow up our small ideas of what our lives are and what we're capable of and what you're asking us to give ourselves to in this life. So would you allow us to be expanded today? We thank you. In Jesus, your name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in the second to last week of our series called Influencers, where we've been taking a look at these individuals in the scriptures that whether or not you're a follower of Jesus or if you've been a part of a community like this, you've probably heard some of their names. Names like Noah or Moses or Joseph, these greats of the faith. And it's interesting because when people pray for faith, when people pray, hey, how can I believe beyond what I can see? Can I live a life that is bigger than just what I can taste, touch, feel, smell? Sometimes they'll pray things like, God, give me me faith like Noah had, or give me faith like Joseph had, or give me faith like Moses had. And here's what I find, that when we pray for faith, when we pray to have our lives elevated, when we pray to expand our influence, not only over ourselves, but on the world around us, what God does is he gives us problems that are bigger than ourselves. How many of you found that to be true? That that when God's like, when we're like, hey, I want to expand what's possible, God's like, great, let me put you in a situation that is beyond what you can control on your own. And this is the gift that God gives us in the middle of this. Because here's the thing, before Joseph was Joseph, He was just Joseph until he heard God's voice and acted. Moses was just Moses until he heard God's voice and acted. Noah was just Noah until he heard God's voice and acted. See, if you want to have faith, God's going to give you a boat to build for 100 years. If you want to have faith that's dynamic, it's going to transform your life, he's going to give you a superpower to take down. If, if you long to live a faith that is influential and that is going to transform not only who you are, but the world around you, he is going to throw you in prison and say, let's do some service. <laughs> He's going to give you a problem much bigger than yourselves. See, these individuals were just faces in the crowd until they heard God's voice and they acted on it. Now, here's what I find is that the first part of that equation is actually quite easy hearing God's voice. I know, I, I, I talk to so many people who say, I have a really hard time hearing God's voice. And, and I know it feels that way at times. How many of you feel at times like God's voice is really elusive? Like, I don't really know how to connect to it. I don't know if this is God's voice or if I don't know what, whatever it may be. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to consider is that if God is actually interested in revealing himself to us, That if God is actually interested in having a relationship with us and connecting to us and expanding what's possible in his life, then he is not attempting to hide his voice from you. He is not attempting to be quiet or whisper or give you some type of riddle to figure out in order to move forward. See, here's the thing that I find to be most often the case when it comes to hearing God's voice, is that God's voice often sounds a lot like our voice, and we just don't like what God's saying to us. We're not really interested in what he's calling us into or inviting us up to or engaging with us. And so we say, I haven't heard God's voice rather than saying, I just don't want to do what he's asking me to do. See, I find that the second part of that equation, acting on it, is actually the struggle that we find ourselves in. It's interesting, I work quarter time as a coach and I coach coach high-level CEOs and people who run nonprofits and businesses and who are just looking to elevate their lives. And here's the thing that is so interesting. The other day, I was having a conversation with someone, and they said, how can you coach people who are far more successful than you? Which, I, first I thought, how do you know they're far more successful than me? <laughs> but I said, here's the thing. People don't hire me for my extreme wisdom. They don't hire me because I have some knowledge on how to elevate your company's gross profits or how to transform your family life or anything like that. You know why people hire me? Because they need someone to ask them to do what they already know they need to do. It's amazing how many times I get on a phone with someone, phone call with someone, and I say, all right, hey, do you know what you need to do? Absolutely, then go do it. And they pay me for it. (laughs) Because here's the thing is that for most of us, we actually know what's necessary to move our life forward. We actually know what's necessary right now to go out and to elevate what's possible in our lives. And if we don't know, we know where to get the information from. We know who to call. We know who to ask. Maybe you are here because of that today. We have all the knowledge and the wisdom and the insight at our fingertips. And if you don't know, YouTube it. Because YouTube might sound a lot like God's voice. See, the problem is not that we don't know what to do. The problem is that we are unwilling at times to act on it. And we don't act because so many times we're afraid. We're afraid that if we try, we might fail, and then we might become failures. We're afraid that we might try and it doesn't work, and then we're disappointed. We're afraid that we might try and then be left out, and God isn't who he says he is in some way. And we find ourselves shrinking back down from the life that we know we are called to. And then we wonder, where is this heroic life that we know we are longing to live? Where is this powerful story, this narrative that is longing to be birthed inside of us? Where is that? And I'm going to ask you to consider that that life, that story, that narrative is one action away that that life is just one movement away from us. And so today we're going to take a look at this key element in becoming influencers and living a life of dynamic faith. And I love that it's found in a woman. It's not the first woman in the scriptures. We skipped over Sarah. We combined her with Abraham, so it's a little bit of a, you know. But today we're going to focus on this woman that demonstrates to us this key spiritual principle. And I love it. I love that we get to elevate women here at Humanity Church and have so many women in leadership and speaking and and to engage what we do here at Humanity. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 31, it says this, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, sorry, she's a prostitute, but here we go. Because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So we're going to take a look at the life of this woman by the name of Rahab today. Now I'm going to read her story right now. It's a little long, so settle in, right? Let's just read through it. In this moment, the people of God, the Israelites, were actually stepping into the promised land, and they're about to take the promised land. We talked about Jericho yesterday. This is right before Jericho happens, and they're examining the land to kind of see what's going on and what is necessary to have this happen. So in Joshua chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, Then Joshua and son of Nun secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here to spy uh, tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gates, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go quickly after them. You may catch up with them. Now, theologically, this lets us know that it's okay to lie, all right? <laughs> At least that's what I told my Sunday school teacher when I was 11. But... But she had taken them up from the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she laid out on the roof. So the men sent out a pursuit of the spies on the road that led to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as their pursuers had gone out, the gates were shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I, I know that the Lord has given you this land. And that great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have... Heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Shion and Og and the two kings of the Amorite east of the Jordan whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives are your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully. Then the Lord gave us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the, city, through the window, for the house she lived in was a part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursu- pursuers will not find you. Hide yourself there for three days until they find you, uh, until you return, and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us Swear will not, be on, will not be binding on us unless, when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother and brothers and all your family into a house, if any of them go outside of your house onto the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in your house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she, went th- she sent them away, they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. And when they left, they went to the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, ford the river, and came to Jordan, to Joshua, son of Nun, and they told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Isn't it funny how we have this deep need to define one another, to put labels on one another that inform us of who these other persons are? Thanksgiving's coming up. The holidays are coming up. We have pumpkin spice everywhere. And it's interesting. How many of you notice that when you go back to your family of origin that you have a definition that is placed on you within your family of origin? And everyone, when they come back for Thanksgiving or they come back for a family gathering, everyone just takes on their definition. You know what I'm talking about? I remember the first time that I went back to Marla's uh, hometown to be with her family, and I remember as Marla entered into her family's home, she suddenly transformed into a whole different human being. (laughs) And it was fascinating. I was like, what is this version of my wife over here? And her and her brother transformed into seven-year-olds again. And I found them arguing about all kinds of things that only seven-year-olds would argue about. I found her in power struggles with her mom and dad that only a seven-year-old would be in power struggles over. And it's interesting how fast they immediately went back to their definitions of family of origin. Now, I don't do that, but she does that. Now, I can tell you that the first time Marla came over to our family, she goes, what is going on with you? (laughs) Who are you? (laughs) Because... We have these definitions, these labels that have put on us, and we know exactly where our place is in the middle of us. And you could probably look back on your childhood and figure out the the label or the definition of the place in the family that either you took on or that someone put on you because they were burned, they're imprinted into us. For for me, growing up, I was like the entertaining one. And so whenever we were at family events, it wasn't uncommon for my mom or my aunt or my grandparents to be like, Nathan, sing that song for us, right? I'm like, what? I'm not the entertainer over here. And then as, as we get older, the labels become more complicated, and they become more ingrained, and we actually try to find our tribe so that we can take on labels. How many of you recognize in, in high school, one of, the, one of the quickest things that we do is find our tribe within, within high school? Whether it's like, oh, I'm one of the jocks, or I'm one of the band nerds, or I'm one of the theater kids, or I'm one of, one of the weirdos, whatever it may be that we find our identities and we hold on to them because there's something about us that loves to label one another because we know exactly where we fit and we know exactly where to put other people. You could define my childhood by a lot of different labels, but one of those growing up was being bullied. I I was just constantly bullied in elementary school. And for me, I spent most of my lunch periods and recesses alone, by myself, trying to avoid being picked on or trying to avoid being hurt or bullied or let down in some way, shape, or form. And I remember every single school year, without failure, standing in front of the mirror in my nice new clothes that my mom had gotten me and saying, Nathan, you're going to be cool this year. You're going to be cool this year. And I remember going back to school. Thank you, Juan, for the empathy. (laughs) I remember going back to school and nope. (laughs) Because it was so hard to shake a label that had been put on me. It was so hard to release uh, a box that had been placed on my life. No matter how much I tried, no matter how much I did, no matter how much I transformed, I couldn't shake the label that had been put on me. See, so often we are defined by our worst moments, not by our bests. See, in Rahab, all throughout the scriptures, was actually given one definition, prostitute. That her name was synonymous with that word. And she was just defined by her worst moments, her worst decisions in life. You ever been there? Have you ever found yourself in a place where you were defined by your worst moments, by your worst decisions, by your worst choices? And it can be so difficult to shake those definitions, especially when they're negative. I was having a conversation with a CEO just about two weeks ago, and we were talking about his relationship to one of his high employees. And, and he was talking about how he couldn't trust this individual and how he was struggling in his relationship with him. And I, I said, give me an example of this mistrust that you're experiencing with this individual. And he gave me this scenario. And I said, when did this happen? And he said, oh, about three years ago. Ooh, yeah, that's right. yeah. And I said, can you give me like an example from the last six months? no, I can't really give you a definition from the last, or an example from the last, could you give me an example from the last year? No, I can't actually give you an example for the last year. And I realized that, that he had been relating to this individual for the last five years as if this one moment was being repeated over and over and over and over again. And he had a definition burned on him that had transferred their relationship to be being one in the moment, to being one that was defined by what had happened. And Rahab found herself here, where her life was defined by her worst moments. She was certainly defined that way by others. She was defined that way by all the men that had used her. I'm sure she was defined that way by all the women whose families had been destroyed as a result of her. I'm sure that she had been defined by this, by every side glance, every snide conversation, every remark in the marketplace when she was walking about the city that she was constantly reminded of who she was and what her place was in society. But my guess is that more importantly, she had defined herself this way. See, it's one thing to have labels externally put on us. It's another thing for us to take those on and to allow them to become an identity. See, I'm sure that in this moment, all she had known was being used by other people. All she had known was being taken advantage of and I imagine for her it was very difficult to decipher between love and intimacy and making a quick buck and what those looked like in the tension of this moment. And here the the spies of Israel come and they need a place to hide and they come to Rahab's home and it seems odd that God would choose the outcast among a city who was already rebelling against God to save his people But of all the people that God chooses, he chooses Rahab. See, because I love this is that what we see, it doesn't matter what circumstances you are in or what has taken place in your past, that God will use anyone who is willing to partner with him. God will use any individual who in just the moment says, I don't care about what I did yesterday. I don't care about my current definitions. I don't care about the labels that are on me. I'm willing to use my life for the sake of what God is up to here in this moment. And see, here's the crazy thing, is that she wasn't the only one that knew that God had already had the victory in the city. The scripture said everyone already knew it. Every single person in that city knew that God was about to come and to take over the city and the victory had already been given to the Israelites. Because she said, look, we've all heard about what happened in Egypt. We heard about how you guys threw over that superpower." And then she said, we heard about the Red Sea. We heard about when you, you parted the oceans and you walked across that. We heard about when you went into these cities and you took them over and that you had everything that you needed in these moments. And he, she says, our hearts were melted. Our city's courage has disappeared. In other words, every single person here knows what's up. Every single person in that city was a believer in the power of God. In fact, if you were to ask any single one there, they would say, oh yeah, 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 that's the God of Israel. He's all powerful. He's the guy who can do anything. He's the guy who can take down cities, who can split rivers, who can take down superpowers. They all were believers in Jesus and what God was up to. And it didn't make a difference. See, here's the massive difference between Rahab and everyone else in that city is everyone else in that city was immobilized by apathy. But Rahab, she acted. That's what she did. That was the difference between every single other person in that city and her. And Rahab is listed in Hebrews chapter 11, not because she was the most righteous among all the people in the city. She was not listed in there because she could hear God more clearly than others. She knew the exact same data and information that every single other person knew in that city. It wasn't because she was given more faith and that somehow she was able to elevate her life because of that. She is there because she heard what God was up to and she acted immediately in alignment with it. She moved in that moment. See, some of you in your life, you have heard from God I'm going to tell you today you have heard from God because you know what your next step is. You know what needs to take place in your life. You know what your next action is. Even if it's small, you know what it is. And some of you are just waiting for this swell of courage to act. Some of you are waiting for this right moment to come to act. Some of you are waiting for, for an, like an indwelling passion to suddenly rise up into you to take action. Others of you are waiting for your circumstances to all come into alignment before you ever move and take action. You're waiting for Mercury to be in retrograde. You're waiting for something to happen in the middle of this. You know what is needed. And some of you have known what is needed for decades. And here's the crazy thing is that some of you in this room even have all the resources necessary to take action today on that thing that God has called you into and you know and it's been waiting in there for years and you are still unwilling to act, to move, to engage, to risk. And for some of you, you are waiting for this burning bush moment or for a fire in the sky or for a voice from heaven when you have a God who has come down in human form and died and came back to life so that you can live invincible and you're still waiting to move. What more do you need to take action on the things that God has asked you to step into here and now? See, Rahab understood this. She understood that doing nothing was far more dangerous than risking everything. She understood that doing nothing would guarantee death. And she understood that action was the only option if she was going to survive. See, the fact is, is that Rahab might have died if she was caught with these spies, but she absolutely would have died if she hadn't. Wow, that's good. She knew she absolutely had zero chance of survival if she did not take action in this moment. See, here's the thing, is that most of us never recognize that we are in this exact same reality as Rahab. We play this game at times, where we tell ourselves it's safer to remain stationary and apathetic than it is to risk. It's safer to wait, to have everything planned out, to have all the circumstances in alignment, to minimize the risk beforehand when God has already spoken. And he's actually already given you everything you need to have this turn out to remove the need for faith so we can simply rely on reason to step into this life that he's called onto. And so we avoid having the conversation that God has already called us to have because it's going to be awkward. And we tell ourselves we have time and then people leave or they die. We tell ourselves that we don't really need to commit to this calling on my life because I have time and it's going to come tomorrow. And then we find ourselves saying next month and then next month is actually 10 years later. Or we find ourselves avoiding, interrupting the destructive choices that we make day after day after day, and we resist that. We say, I'll quit tomorrow. I'll stop in a week. In two weeks, I promise, that's when things are going to change and that's going to transform. But tomorrow hasn't come for decades for some of us. We resist the discipline needed to step into the life that we were meant to live, that we know we were meant to live, that lives inside of us, that echoes in our hearts and our souls and our minds every time we put our head on the pillow and we tell ourselves, it isn't a big deal. It isn't, it isn't really gonna matter if I don't step into this and we wonder why we walk around like the living dead. Where the passion is, where the life is that we know was available to us, we think we're playing it safe when in reality, we're just planning our own death. And the whole time, God is saying, would you just move? And it's not because we don't know what to do. It's because we choose the action of not acting. Many people know this verse in James chapter 2, starting in verse 26. It says, as the body is without as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Faith without works is dead. How many have ever heard that verse? Faith without works is dead. Yeah. It calls us. It says, look, it doesn't really matter if you have faith. Like, we're actually interested in seeing if you're going to move, if you're going to act, if you're going to have something take place. Now, most of us know that verse, and we know, hey, I need to actually take action on this. But did you know that that verse is actually connected to an individual? Because right before that, it says, in the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off to a different direction. As the body is without the spirit, so faith without deeds is dead. See, connecting faith to action was not attributed to some miraculous act that took place. When the scriptures say, look, faith without works is dead, it wasn't talking about when Moses took down Pharaoh. It wasn't talking when Joshua came and took over the land. It wasn't talking when Joseph came and said, hey, I'm going to remove a famine from the city. It came when Rahab said, look, I'll hide you. I'll take action. Everyone else believes the same thing. But I'm the only one who is willing to actually do something about it. And it was connected with Rahab choosing to hide spies that might cost her her life. That today we are reminded that faith without works is dead. See, if you want to know if someone has faith, it's actually pretty simple. Are you acting on the voice of God as he speaks? Faith is not the substance of things That we'd like or that we hope for, it is the substance of action that we hope for. Hope is moved by actions. See, how many of you actually have a laundry list of to do's that has been on your laundry list of to do's for years? I I know I have. I know I have had a list of things that I'm like, man, I know there's a book in me. I know that there's a, there's a calling in me. I know that there's a conversation that needs to be had. I know I need to go start that thing. I need to know I need to go engage this way of being with my family. I know that I'm called to get introduce this with my kids. And it is a laundry list of to dos that we are waiting for something to happen until we move, but faith without action is dead. You can say all day long and sing your heart out on a Sunday morning that you trust in God, my Savior. But until you actually move, it actually does not matter. Until you actually do something about it, it is all nice words. The only thing that matters in your life is demonstrating the faith that lives inside of you. Otherwise, it's just a good talk. In fact, I was just reading a mental health journal this week, and you know what they found is one of the greatest ways to remove yourself from anxiety or depression? The greatest, the the studies have been in for years on this, but the greatest way to actually move yourself quickly out of depression, anxiety, and apathy is to ask yourself, what is the next small action that I can take right now? And to go do it. Because when you are in the process of moving your life forward, it is very difficult to also be in apathy. When you are in the process of moving your life forward, it is very difficult to also be anxious about where you're headed. When you are moving your life forward, it's, it's difficult to allow the depression to take over while you are in movement towards the life that you are called to live. See, we, we live in an Instagrammable era where we want everything to look good. We, we just want everything to look good. We want, we want the, our family to look good. We want our vacations to look good. We want our kids, heck, we want our food to look good, right? We're just interested in how can I make everything look pretty? And what I found working with so many individuals is that people feel the need to look successful. They feel the need to look fulfilled. They need the, to, to, to look wise. And they need to look rich and affluent. But they actually don't have the need to be rich. They don't actually have the need to be successful. They don't actually have the need to be wise. They don't actually have the need to be fulfilled. As long as they look the part, it's okay. I was just in a conversation with a gentleman whose Instagram is filled with him in front of Porsches and Lamborghinis and holding up dollar bills and promising other people that he can make them rich. And he wanted to sign up for a um, a training that I was going to be doing pretty soon. And when he called, he asked someone, he said, could I get like um, half off of this? And I said, I saw your Instagram. Maybe like sell a Ferrari? I don't know, like that, that I, I don't know. And as we got into it and we talked through it, I found out that, oh, the Ferraris were someone else's. And the money wasn't actually his, it was Photoshopped. And that all the appearance of wealth wasn't actually the wealth that they engaged in. See, because looking successful was more important than being successful. And looking affluent was more important than being affluent. What I found in our culture is that the appearance of a beautiful life is much more important than actually living a beautiful life. Yes, it's leaving, it leaves us anxious and it leaves us powerless. And when I look around at the state of faith, I have to say that we've done the exact same thing with Christianity. As long as we say the right things and have the right theology and believe the right things, we can be called people of faith. Meanwhile, there is zero expectation to do anything about it. There is zero expectation to move, to risk to step into the life that we know we were called to live, to love in the way that we know we were called to love, to forgive in the way that we were called to forgive, to go and to move in the way that we know that we were called to move. And so meanwhile, there's there's zero expectation to act on anything that we say. We wanna snuggle in and wait for God to move. And we're living in this spiritual standoff at times where we're saying, all right, God, do a miracle. And God's saying, what do you think the cross was? It's your move. See, speaking about living lives of faith is oftentimes more important than actually living lives of faith. That when we look at our lives, our lives should be filled with risk and movement and action. And without it, it leaves us spiritually anxious and spiritually powerless. See, I think that this is why Jesus actually spoke about money so much. Let's all get anxious for a moment. We already took the offering, so don't worry. But Jesus talked about money so much because I think it's actually the perfect litmus test for our faith as to whether or not we just talk a good talk or whether we actually live by faith. Whether we actually say we believe or whether we actually believe. See, because here's the crazy thing about being generous is that, I don't know if you know this, God doesn't actually need your money. He's not concerned about it. He's not concerned about humanity, church. He's not concerned in any way, shape, or form. If he needed to, he would just pour out money, right? But what he chooses to do is use individuals and transform them into generous people to create beauty on the earth with their resources. And he says, hey, what I'd like for you to do is to put your faith in me. And trust me in the middle of this. Now, here's the thing, is that so many of us, we are quick to say, I believe in you, God of miracles, right? Get all goosebumps about it, have a nice time, right? We're like, I surrender everything, I trust in you. You are the beautiful one, and you are so good, and everything is yours. I give you my all, and God's like, hey, how about 10% of your resources? Oh, may hold on. Let's talk about this for a second, you know, because I have some plans, and I have some things I need to get done, and I have some dreams, and I have some other things, and God's like, no, actually, I'd just love for you to give that away to create some beauty. Oh, let's not get crazy, right? See, because we would rather tip God and stay safe than actually trust him with our resources See, Jesus talked about money so much because he knew that it was our most tangible way to see if we actually had faith in him or we had faith in the next thing, which would be resources. And so when he says, look, would you give me your all? And he says, hey, how about we start with 10% of your resources? God's actually saying, do you actually trust me or is this just a show? Is this just nice talk? And... He knew that we would put our trust in the next obvious thing, a buck, that would save us because we actually don't trust that he will save us. See, one of the greatest spiritual acts that you will ever do in your life is to choose to act. And here's the thing. The less time that you put between when God speaks and when you move, the more momentum your life will have. The faster you hear God's voice and move on it, the faster your life will move forward. See, so many of us feel like our lives are stuck. We feel like our lives are slow. We feel like there's not a lot of momentum because God spoke 20 years ago to you. God spoke 10 years ago to you. Heck, God spoke last week to you and you're still sitting here waiting to move, to see if everything's gonna come into alignment in your favor to actually do something about it. See, and Rahab's faith, in action is actually why we are continually reminded that she is a prostitute. See, because at one point in her life, she traded a sacred act for security. And then she was introduced to Jesus, and she made a decision to trade her security for a sacred act. And in that moment, everything transformed. And it saved all of God's people. And she shifted her legacy forever. And so now when the scriptures say Rahab the prostitute, it shifted from a mark of shame to a mark of God's faithfulness and power over her life. Because she forever transformed not just her future, but she transformed her past in the process, because she heard God speak, and she moved, and I love this passage of scripture that we read oftentimes at Christmas, in Matthew chapter one, when we hear about the genealogy of Jesus, the family line of Jesus, it's like a super boring chapter, but this is what it says in the beginning of the gospels, the very beginning of the gospels, it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Namedad, Namidab the father of Nashon. Nashom, the father of Solomon. Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. See not only did she save her family that her family line became the line through which the savior of the world would be birthed into humanity And in Matthew she is no longer known as Rahab the prostitute she is now known as Rahab the great grandmother to the savior of the world because she heard God's voice and she acted. She listened and she moved. She heard him speaking then in that moment and she risked because she understood that apathy was far more dangerous than risking everything in that moment. And if you are committed to not just transforming your past but to elevating your future, it starts with an act. It starts with a movement. It starts with a risk here and now. So I don't have more fluffy words for you. My only invitation to you, my only question to you is, what is your next sacred act that you are called to? What is the thing that God has said, until you do this, your life is in danger. Until you do this, you are gonna find yourself wondering, where is the wonder and where is the hope and where is the beauty and you will risk spending your entire life waiting for the right moment, rather than seizing the moment that is right here, right now, that God has already spoken into. And chances are you already know it. Chances are you already know what that sacred act is. Maybe you've been sitting on it for years, and today God is saying, no more. No more waiting around, no more talking a good talk. It will not happen until you move. So I want you just to close your eyes right now. And I want you just to ask the Lord, Lord, what is my next sacred act? What is it? Maybe you already know. Maybe it's a phone call or a conversation that you need to make, maybe with a friend or a spouse or a family member. It could be something that, a call on your life that you have been unwilling to step into and this is your moment to, to get on the phone today or to find someone right after this gathering, grab them and say, I need, you, I need you to know this thing that God has called me into. Would you please connect with me this week so that I start engaging it? For some of you, it may be a step with your health that God's like, hey, I can't use you in this breakdown of your health and I need you to really focus on this right now. For some of you, it may be an internal addiction or a struggle that you've been in for years. And maybe you know where to get help. Maybe you're here because you long for help and you just have struggled to tell someone. You've struggled to admit it. You've struggled to confess. And God today is like, no more. Today is the day to act. Maybe there's an area in your life where you've been just so afraid to take the next step because you don't know how it's gonna turn out or maybe it didn't turn out last time. And so you're just so afraid to go again. Whatever that is, I'm gonna ask you right now to commit to action. And here's the crazy thing. I'm gonna ask you to do something today. Like the second this gathering's over. And usually, here's what I found, it usually involves someone else. You might need to make a phone call. You might need to make a text message. You might need to grab someone after this gathering and get together with them and say, hey, I need, I need to act. I need, I need you to hold me to the fire, to act day is a day of action, where we move from talking a good talk about living an influential life to becoming influencers. And here's the thing, none of this works without Jesus. This isn't just, how can I take the next risky step? The first step is hearing his voice. And here's the thing, if you have not yet connected to Jesus in a relationship with him, then it doesn't matter. The first step is that. I can tell you that's the first thing he'll be saying to you. So if today you have not yet connected to Jesus, I can guarantee you his first words are, hey, would you step into a relationship with me? Would you make me Lord? And in that, I will release you into the life that you were called to live. And so this morning, if you're here and you have not yet connected to Jesus in making him Lord, it's really simple. It's just like inviting a friend into your life, inviting someone to come and to take over. And if that's you this morning, would you just look up at me all over the room? Look, I wanna pray with you. And these are not magic words. They're just like you connecting to God, saying, hey, I wanna surrender everything to you. The scriptures say that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, like, hey, I'm gonna give you everything and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved into this life that is so beautiful that it will take your breath away so this morning you can just pray this with me to yourself, just pray, dear Jesus I give you my life I know that I am broken and I make you Lord I know that you came and you died for me and you came back to life so that I might live I give you everything and I choose to move today I thank you jesus name amen Amen.
0: thank you for joining us for this week's podcast we hope that it was a meaningful experience and look forward to having you listen in next week for another conversation from the heart and soul of humanity church you can find more information about our community at www.humanitychurch.com